Come on, come on. Hello, everybody. Come on, you can put your hands together for that if you're sitting at home. Thanks so much for being here. Welcome to our weekend services today. We continue our series called The Insignificant Other. Last week, we gave you an overall summary and told you why uh, God created this beautiful thing called marriage. And today, I want to zoom in to a particular group of people. And then next week, we're going to deal with the opposite group of individuals. But uh, it is to do that, we have to tackle one of the most difficult passages in the scriptures. And so I'm eagerly looking forward to this. And so we're going to pray. I'm going to give you a quick summary. And then we're going to jump into what God has to say to us on today. If I told you, ladies and gentlemen, that uh, uh, if you go on this flight, that you're going somewhere and say, if you go on this flight, uh, 50% of uh, the people that go on this flight, these flights, they meet in an accident and therefore they crash. Uh, you would be very, very careful. Actually, some of you wouldn't even risk it. You'd just be like, I'm good, I'm driving. Because you would not want to take the risk to jump in. Yet still, so many people jump into marriages not realizing the difficulty that they're about to experience. Now, while marriage is absolutely one of the most beautiful things on the planet, uh, if you go into it unaware of the troubles that are coming, then you have a rude awakening coming. Let's pray. See if we can jump into it and see what God has to say to us on today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity again to break open the bread of life. Will you teach us? Will you remind us? Will you inspire us? Will you uh, awaken in us the spirit of God afresh so that we can live out the calling that you have called us to live out? Thank you for every person watching. Thank you for this divine appointment that you have made with each one of us. Now, please, we're pleading with you, God, prepare our hearts to receive your word so that we will walk out of here never the same again. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Let's go, let's go, let's go. So last week, here's what we talked about. Last week we said that God has this beautiful thing that was created uh, before, that he thought about before the creation of the earth. And he has a story to tell. The problem is that he wants to do this thing. He wants to highlight for all of us this beautiful thing called marriage. Uh, the, the challenge we face, though, as a body of believers and as a world, is that uh, God's vision for this oftentimes is skewed because uh, uh, of the culture that we live in. The culture we live in determines how we view God's vision for this beautiful thing called marriage. So here's what we said last time. Last time we suggested that there are, there are four things that, that messes up how we view marriage from God's perspective. I know how we're viewed from the world's perspective, but how do we view it from God's perspective? And there are four things in our culture, if you're in the Western civilization, there are four things that, that really messes up God's vision for marriage. So much so that most of us can't fully live it out because of the cultural barriers uh, that impacts how we view it. So let me remind you real quick. Here's what he said. Uh, number one was autonomy. 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 There it is. And because of autonomy or desire or passion to want it our way or the passion to not seek wisdom or passion to want to do it our way. I want to do what I want to do because this feels good to me, because I think this is the right thing to do, because I believe that this is what God wants me to do. And this idea of autonomy in our culture 
prevents us from seeing clearly what God has desired for, vi- for marriage to be. Number two. Second thought is this thing called, let's see it, let's see it, let's see it, self. There it is. Because you and I love ourselves so much, ah, we, we, we have no idea what God's vision for marriage looks like. And we can't even fully comprehend it because we love ourselves. So, for example, God's going to say, hey, man, um, I want you to die to yourself so that you can serve the other person. And, and we're going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you want me to love them more than I love me? What do you mean you want me to put them first? Well, when you live in a culture that has celebrated you and has asked you to become the best you can be, of which nothing is wrong with that, but when it comes to marriage, God says, just like I didn't come to be served but to serve, I want you to do the same thing. But when you are so intoxicated with yourself, you cannot ever fully appreciate what marriage looks like. Therefore, we got the problems we have today because we don't fully grasp the significance of dying to self so that we can serve the other person. Number three. Watch it. Number three. Number three then is, ah, number three says, uh, let's hold that one back for a moment. Number three says, oh, sex. There it is. Number three says sex. Now, because because so many of us um, uh, had sex before we got married, we can't fully understand what God really desired marriage to be when the two become one. And so because we've had so many other relationships, now we compare all those other relationships ah, to the one that we're getting married to, which distorts a whole lot of things. And now we're playing the comparison game, which now therefore means you can't get fully to what God desires for all of us. And then last one, this is all repeat. You can go watch it later. This is the last one. Number four says this. Number four is... Entertainment, the idea that we love to be entertained. So anything that's boring, we don't like. That's why we struggle with reading our Bible. Because ain't nobody there to entertain us. It's just us. That's why we struggle with spending time in our prayer closet. Because we love entertainment. What's in it for me? Come on, let me see something. Give me some action. Let, I, I, I want to be excited about this deal. Well, when it comes to marriage, marriage is just doing, being faithful taking one foot in front of the other and doing what God's called you to do, which is to always put the other person above yourself. Here's what we said. We we coined it this way last week. We said that marriage is all about displaying, putting on advertisement to the whole world what Jesus' relationship with the church looks like. So watch this. Before the foundation of the earth, God says, I know what I'm going to, one of the purposes for marriage is, he says, I want them to show the world, everybody that gets married, to show the world what my love looks like when I love them. That's why he says, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you regardless of your behavior. I'm going to support you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm not going to walk away from you no matter what you do. My love keeps coming at you. But we can't see that, y'all, because the vision for marriage has been blocked. Listen, please listen. Has been blocked by the cultural norms of our Western civilization. So when God says, I expect you to be selfless, the culture says, I expect you to put yourself first. That's why we can't do this the way God wants it done. Ma, 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 ma. So that's just review. That's just review. Now let's walk into where I want to take us today. Today I have a simple, I have a very, very simple thought that I'm going to repeat about 10 times 
because I don't want you to ever forget it. Um, the problem in the church now and in the world is that the world and the church have blended their thoughts on the issue of being single. Uh, okay, so let me help you out. Here's what the world says. The world says, um, it's okay to be single. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Uh, but it's better to be married. Let me tell you something else the world says. The world says, it's okay to be single, but it's better to be dating and have the benefits of marriage. That's what the world says. And the church has bought into it. They've bought into it hook, line, and sinker. That's why there's no difference between the world and the church now. Everybody comes in church, and they want to do what the world does because they've been influenced by the same factors that we have up here that are driving how we think about this beautiful thing called marriage. Let me explain a little further. So, so the culture says, uh, it's okay, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right to be single, but it really is best to try before you buy. The culture says, it's I to be single, but uh, that's antiquated, that's old-fashioned. What's really, really good is when you have the benefits of marriage without the responsibility of it. What the church interprets that to mean is, hey, just get out of the single jail so that you can get into marriage. Since you can't control yourself, just get into marriage as quickly as you can. Now, here is what the Word of God says that nobody will tell you. But I'm going to help you out today. Nobody will tell you this. First Corinthians chapter 7 says this. It's actually good to be married. It's a great thing to be married. Uh, but you're going to have trouble. Mm -hmm. You're going to have lots of trouble. Watch it now. It then says it's actually better to be single. But nobody wants to hear that. Because it goes counter to the four, and I'm going to put up the last one now, five big cultural barriers that block God's intentions for marriage and for the unmarried. Here's the last one. The last one. The last one. Here it is. The last one we put up is we got an idol called family. Mm -hmm. We got an idol called family. No, no, no. Ain't nothing wrong with family. It's beautiful. That's how the generations continue. Nothing wrong with it. Everything wrong with it when you make it the ultimate thing. Everything wrong with it when you put it on God's status. Everything wrong with it when you worship it as an idol. Don't laugh at the people a hundred, a thousand years ago that used to worship calves and everything else. Because we worship in some of the same things. Family, and we are putting God here and family here. And because we are, now you start to pressure everybody who is not married to get married because the goal is to get out of the jail called single and hurry up and get married. God, I wish I had a witness. Hey, bring me the other one of these for me. There's another one that says uh, single or, or unmarried. Bring that for me, please, Jay. Thank you, man. Watch this now. So, so here's what church people do. Church people says, this is the jail. This is, in our culture, the jail. You must never be here. As quickly as you can, you must get out of here so you can get to here. And so we pressure everybody. We pressure everybody. This is the jail to be gotten out of, and this is the goal for everybody to run to. The problem that I have with that is Paul and Jesus is going to think differently about it. Paul and Jesus is going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Please remember, two of the greatest men ever to walk the face of this earth 
Could not do what they had done unless they were single. Could not do it. They wouldn't have gotten it all done. Come on, mad people. You know this. You got too many distractions, as Paul's going to tell you in a little while, for you, for either Jesus or Paul to, got what, to have gotten done all that they have gotten done. Watch it now. So the world says, hey, man, this right here, don't worry about it. All you have to do is pretend as if you're here even though you're not. That's what they argue. That's what they're still arguing. Church people say, this is a bad thing. Get out of it quickly so you can have some babies, so you can have some grandkids, so, because this is a bad thing. And I'm telling you today, please, family, listen to me. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's actually an anti-biblical thought to think that this is a bad thing and you need to get out of here as quickly as you can. And we need to obliterate this thought today because it is from um, the enemy and not from God. So here we go. You say, Pastor, you got to prove that to me today. I am glad you asked because I sure I'm going to prove it. And I'm going to give you the notes to back it up. So go get you some notes and let's go. Let's see if we can pull it off. Uh, so get to your notes. We're talking about the insignificant other, how we've made Jesus Christ insignificant because we have worshipped the concept of marriage and the concept of self and the concept of a family, we have worshipped it so much so that Jesus has been left insignificant, a bystander watching us fulfill or worship dreams of worshiping these other things that we love so much. So come on, let's see if we can get. It. Let's start in First Corinthians, chapter seven, and let's read two verses first: verse number seven and verse number eight, and then we're going to go all the way down to verse twenty-five. Verse number seven, chapter seven, and verse number seven. Here's what it says. Yet I wish that all men were even as I am. What does that mean? He was single. He wishes that all men were as he was. However, each man has his own gift. Somebody say gift. Somebody say gift. Say gift. Say gift. Say gift. Good. Somebody say gift. Each man, in other words, if you're married, that's a gift. And if you're single, that's a gift. That's a gift. It is a gift that God has given you. It's a gift that God's given me, whatever season you're in. For the moment that you're in. I know what somebody's saying right now, Pastor, but, but I don't have the gift of singleness. Okay, so let me help you out. If you're single, which means you don't have a ring on, which means you didn't walk down the aisle. If you're single, it means you have the gift, at least today. Everybody got the gift. So if you're single and you're not yet married, it means you got the gift. So welcome to this beautiful gift that God has given to you. Yeah. To fully understand this, this passage of scripture, we've got to do a couple of things. I've got, to, I've got to remind you and set up the context. So Paul is going to suggest to you that this is a difficult time. We're going to read this in a moment in verse number 25. It's a difficult time. He's talking to people in a culture, listen, that, were, that had arranged marriages. That the dad would make sure that the person they were marrying was, was a good person and had a trajectory about their lives, all that. So, so that's the context of it. So when you read some of this, just know that there's arranged marriages. It's not like our culture today. However, his truth is the same. A lot of people, let's go to verse 25 now. Here's what verse 25 says. Now, considering virgins, I have no command of the Lord but I give an opinion as one who, by the mercies of the Lord, is trustworthy. Now, once you say that, everybody says, see, that's why I don't want to talk to Paul. Because Paul is saying, I, he's not commanding me. That means this shouldn't even be in the Bible. It just got slipped in there. No, 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 no. That is not his point. 
He's saying this is not a moral issue of right or wrong. It's actually a wise, a wisdom issue of good and better. That's, what, that's all that verse means. It's not saying, uh, therefore, Paul, this is not uh, uh, from God. This is your little opinion. We don't care about what you have to say. That's every part of God's word is God-breathed. Therefore, it's inspired by God and should be a part of the word of God. So therefore, what he's saying is, it's not a moral issue. What it is, is an issue of right, what's, no, what's good, and what's better. It's a wisdom issue. If you want to be wise, Paul says, then you listen to me based upon my apostolic authority. I'm saying this. Here we go. Let's continue the text. He says, he says, I think then that it is good in view of the present distress. Let's talk about that. So what Paul knew was coming was the idea of um, the emperor of the day would, 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 would take advantage of Christians and ultimately he would, he would put animal skin on Christians and then let animals run after them. So there's this persecution like nothing else of Christians. And so what Paul is suggesting is everything I'm going to tell you right now in terms of the married folk and the unmarried folk, I'm telling you because there is something that's more important than marriage, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our culture don't want to believe that. But the God, people populating heaven is more important than populating earth here on the planet. Therefore, since you're only living for 70 years here, but you're going to live for billions of years with God, don't count these 70 as more important than the billions of years. So therefore, maximize your time here to populate the billions of years you're going to spend with Jesus worshiping him. But the culture don't want you to know that. They want you to think that now is all you've got. Therefore, grab as much as you can now. Trying to help somebody today. I promise you I am. We have been deceived. And so let me show you how. And let me try and break it down a little further. Here we go. So he says, uh, verse, number, verse number 27. Are you bound to a wife? Watch this phrase. Do not seek. If you're right, back in your Bible, highlight that. Do not seek to be released. Watch the text again. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek to be released. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such have trouble in this life. Here's Paul's counsel now, and I'm trying to spare you. In other words, here's what he's suggesting. He says, do not seek. The word seek means look for. The word seek means to strive after. It means to strive after obsessively, to strive after. You're searching. You, your whole life is, is meant for searching. So you're either searching to find somebody or you're searching to get out of something to find somebody else. He's saying, he said, I don't want you to do that. Save your time. Save your energy. There's so much more to do. Here's what Paul's basically saying. Kingdom work is so important. Who you think is going to change the world? Somebody who have four kids and have to, have to worry every single day about every single thing that's happening in life to make sure the kids are fine. Or somebody that has nothing else but to devote their full life to Jesus Christ so that they can do everything they can to advance the gospel of Jesus. Who you think have the most time? And here's what you do 
uh, Christian um, church mothers, when you say this is the prize and not Jesus is the prize, then you make these people say to themselves, well, then I need to get out of here quickly so that I can get here quickly. And when you do that, you're minimizing what the gospel of Jesus, what they can do for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means that you don't fully understand the significance of what Jesus did for you and how many other people need what Jesus did for you so that they can run as hard as they can for Jesus. And what bothers me is that we think we're so smart when we're saying that's jail and this is heaven, so run hard after heaven. And I'm saying the more singles that run hard after God, the more we depopulate hell and we populate heaven. So what we need to do is get them fully devoted to God. And as they are, then maybe as God provides, he can move them over here. But I don't know that. So until you do, you have to run as hard for God as you possibly can. So let me help you out. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. So let's, let's, let's begin our discussion then. Go to your sermon notes. Let me see if I can get through this one pretty quickly. It looks like this today. Lots of notes today. Um, but a lot of it is big picture. Here we go. Let me explain just those verses you've seen so far. So what he's saying is Satan's desire is that you, all singles, uh, have this idea of an unwanted single. You don't want to be there. That's the wrong place to be. Get out of it as quickly as you can. That's what he desires. Get out quickly. So Satan, the great deceiver, is going to do three things. He's going to distort the truth. He's going to deceive you. And he's going to discourage you. He's going to distort. He's going to deceive. And he's going to deceive. Listen, parents, if you have kids, you better let them know this early. Because this is the entire ball game for the enemy. If he gets a young person... 15, just hooked on making sure they find the right person, that is, dating person, and not hooked on the gospel of Jesus Christ and pursuing that and what God's plans are and using the gift God's given them, then he has already distorted the truth of God's word. Which is why, parents, you got to learn this and you got to learn it early so that you can disciple your kids to prioritize and use the gift that God has given them. So he wants to distort Whatever God says is true, he wants to do. Whatever God says um, that we should do, he wants to deceive you so you look for something else. So that you can say there's no fun in, in this Christian life. Life is boring. You, you, you have to help God, so you got to go find your mate somewhere. Lastly, he says, I'm going to discourage you. Let me give you in two um, different worlds. In the, West, in the Eastern culture, let's start Eastern. In the Eastern culture, family is everything. So they want you to get married as quickly as you can because you don't start living until, you're, until you have your own family. Because for them, that's been elevated to God's status. Can I tell you what it is in the Western culture? <laughs> in the Western culture, we say we have to create our own empire. So we've got to build something great. Which is why we say we're not going to get married until I have everything squared away and all my bills are paid and I'm out of debt. So I'm just going to date her until I'm, I'm ready and my empire is ready. And you're just a piece of a block in my empire to build me up so that I can go somewhere. 
That's the Western culture. That's the one you and I live in. That's why I will never forget as a youth pastor in San Diego. And this couple came up to me and the son was struggling and said, Pastor, I want to get married. And I went to mom and dad and said, Mom and dad, here we go. If they want to get married, let them go through the struggle together and let them just build. No, 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 no. It will mess everything up. It will mess everything up. They, uh, he's got to build his uh, empire. They didn't use the word empire. But he's got to build his empire first. And then if she's still around, then he can add her to the empire he's building. Listen to me, please. Listen, listen, listen. Isn't it better for somebody to go through the difficulties of life with you on the journey so you know if they can handle it in the good times and in the bad? Isn't that what marriage is all about anyways? Isn't that it? But when you grow up and you parents, because sometimes the pressure is from the parents to the kids, and then you say, parents, I'm going to make sure you build your empire. you got to build it. Then what you're saying is you're falling prey to Western culture and not to the word of God. So your desire then is to make sure you understand what the Bible says about the un not yet married and about the marriage. Come on, I ain't done. Come on, I'm just getting started. Turn the page off. Oh, no, no, no. So, so here's what God desires. He desires us to delight in Christ, which means he wants us to have devotion to him. He wants us to be dedicated to him, and he wants us to be deployed on the front lines. Please listen to me now, you unmarried not yet married. Here's what he says. You, you have nothing hindering you from being fully devoted to God. You have nothing, you have undivided devotion to God. He says, I want you to spend your time. You don't have to spend it with kids waking up at two in the morning. You don't have to spend it trying to take kids to soccer games and to football games and to gymnastics. You don't have to do that. All I want you to do is focus on making sure I am your priority and that you're wedded to me and that you're running hard after me. Don't let anybody distract you from it. You cannot afford to because I need you to change the world. You are his number one weapon in his arsenal against all of what Satan has planned. You're it. So if you get distracted, if you get, if you get shifted one side or the other, then now you've taken away. Now the enemy has masterfully Taking away, one, your delight in the Lord, but then he's also taking away the impact you could have for the glory of God. Which is why we need young people passionate about God. And what's happened more and more in the pandemic is I find young people, uh, teenagers, as well as young adults, as well as 30s and 40s, more passionate about becoming a millionaire than they are about running hard after God. Now, by the way, he's the one who builds millionaires up and takes them all down. But yet still, you're still running after money instead of chasing passions and let money follow your passion. All right, come on. I'm not done. Turn the page over. Let's go. Uh, and so uh, uh, God says, here's what I want to see. What I really, really want to see is me being your best friend. So you're leveraging and unleashing your faith, your time, and your singleness. That's the word there, your singleness, which then will free you from what the culture is so bogged down by, which is the idols, the relational anxiety, and the worldly distractions. You'll be free from that so that you can have unbridled worship, you can be devoted, undivided devotion to God, and you can have a unique ministry to others. The primary calling is for singles or those not yet married is to please God. That's your primary calling, to please God, to live for Him and for his glory. All right, turn the page over. Turn the page over. Here we go. Let me prove it now. Let me prove it now. Let me prove it. I've never done this before. That's why I wanted to do this today. I want to prove to you why 
um, the, the thesis that we started out with. Uh, it's I to be single. It's I, but, but it's better to be married. It, it's I to be single, but that's a lie. And I'm going to prove it to you in a moment. Here's what the words is going to say. It's I to be married. It's actually good to be married. Uh, it really, really is good to be married. It's actually great to be married. But you're going to have trouble. How are you going to bring two single people together with all their baggage and then tell them, uh, serve the other person more than you serve your own needs? That's called trouble. That's called drama. That's called, no, I don't want to do it. Why? Because you get married to be happy and you get divorced to be happy. Because that's how we live. We just want to be, culture says, happy. So when you do, then God's not in it at all. It's just all about you, self. Then, then when you're not having fun, you want more entertainment. Then when you're not having that, you want autonomy. I'm going to do my own thing. Because that's what the culture has conditioned us to think. So what we have today in our culture is this. We got single people. This is all they be doing. They be looking in the season that they want to be in. So all they're doing is walking around. They're not living in the present. They're looking into the future. They'll be like, I can't wait till I get. They, they don't realize that they, they, they're hitting over stuff. Can't wait till I get. Can, cannot look where they are and all of a sudden bump into stuff, all kinds of stuff, because they're looking into the season that they want to be in and not living in the present. But then you got married people. You got married people who say, well, hold on, hold on, let me. Let me, let me get this all focused. Yeah, there it is. That are not enjoying where God has them. They're looking for the single person over there that they can spend some time with. So instead of enjoying, we all do the same thing. We all believe that it's better on the other side. So if I just find the right person because I'm married to the wrong one, then ultimately I'll feel the way I need to feel and I'll get the stuff that I need to get. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the trick of the enemy. Come on. All he says to single people is, oh, yeah, when you get married, it's going to be everything you wanted it to be. Okay. Married people, if you just get out of this one and you can do it better next time, it's going to be the best thing you ever did, best decision you ever did. That's why the only reason people, that's why a lot of people stay together today, because it's too expensive to get a divorce. Because it's too emotionally charged to get one, which is or because of the kids. So when the kids go, that's why the second highest rate is after you get uh, the kids leave. Then everybody says, all right, I'm done now. You can't charge me for them kids for 18 years no more, so I'm out. Because you've been looking instead of enjoying the moment. You've been looking in the other side, trying to figure out what you can enjoy in the next side. My camera guy over there laughing. People are like, oh, Lord, Pastor, be looking at me. Anyways, let's go. Five things. Why the single life is the preferred life. Here we go. Come on, let's see if we can get through it. Number one. Number one. The, the, please remember this. Please do when you're having your conversation. Uh, family of God grows not by propagation through sexual intercourse, but by regeneration through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, in other words, um, if you really care about the gospel, and if you really care about thy kingdom come on earth and is it in heaven, then you got to populate heaven. If you are about to populate heaven, then your assignment as a not yet married is to make sure you tell more and more people about Jesus Christ. Because it's all about him anyways. 
So since it is, then we should be, when you're not yet married, focused on making sure that you're getting as many people as you can to heaven. Married people, your job is to disciple your kids and make sure they look like Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about y'all next week. Don't worry. We're coming right back to y'all. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. But next week is your turn. But this week, uh, singles, not yet married, here's what I'm trying to tell you, that your assignment has to be to realize who God's calling you to be in this season and enjoy it to the fullest. You have the privilege, the privilege of populating heaven without distractions now. Why wouldn't you? Number two, number two, number two. Our relationships in Christ are more permanent and more precious than relationships with families. Here's what that means. Uh, your, your, um, your life ends, when your life ends, then that family relationship ends. Because in heaven, there are no family relationships. God, you remember, uh, it was in Luke chapter uh, 20, verse 29 through 35, where they ask, in the resurrection, who's she, who, who are they going to be married to? And that's not the point when you get to heaven. The point when you get to heaven is you're going to be worshiping Jesus. Not trying to figure out who am I really married to here. That's not the point. Because marital relationships give way to the ultimate relationship, which is the relationship with Jesus Christ. So you're enjoying it for 70 years, but then after that, it's all about Jesus. By the way, it should be all about Jesus in this life too. It should be all about Jesus all the time. But sometimes our culture influences us, so it's not that way. Number three, number three. Marriage is temporary and finally gives way to the relationship to which it was pointing all along. That is the relationship between Christ and the church. Remember I told you last week that that your goal is to display this beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. So marriage is temporary and it's just pointing ultimately to Jesus and the church. That's why, listen, listen, listen. That's why the Bible starts in marriage and ends in marriage. And in between is trouble. It starts Adam and Eve. It ends, uh, Revelation 21, with the marriage supper. In between, it's all fine. So here's what you need to know. God's asking all unmarried people, can you do everything you can while you're single? To do everything you can to populate heaven. And depopulate hell. Here we go, number four, number four. Faithfulness to Christ defines the value of life and and all other relationships find their final significance from this. No family relationship is ultimate. Your relationship to Christ is. Here's what you're going to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Ultimately, that's what you want to hear when you get to the pearly gates. You want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. In other words, uh, 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 not yet married. Here's what he wants to tell you. He wants you to run so hard after him in this season. I wish I could share this and shout it from every mountaintop I could. Because if you're running hard after God in your life, and you're trying to please him, and you're trying to serve him, and you're trying to use the gift that he has given you, I'm telling you, there is no other great life. I'm so grateful that I had a man in my life that told me I was going after the Western civilization. I was going after, I'm going to build the empire, and then it's going to be all about me. And at about 28 years old, he stopped me and he said, I promise you, you will regret it for the rest of your life. It was a soccer coach in San Diego that did this for me. He said, you're going to regret this if you don't live everything you can for the glory of God. And it shaped my thinking forever because of one man 
He went so far and said, you don't even believe me. So I'm going to send my, your application into the seminary because I so believe that God's calling me to do this. And he says, I want you to make the best use of your time as a single man for the glory of God. And to this day, I hail him to this day and tell him thank you. Every opportunity I get, I tell him thank you because it's the best. You know what he told me? He said, when you get to 50 and you've made all the money in the world, you're going to look back. And you're going to say, was it worth it? When you compare it to the number of lives that could have been changed for the glory of God. No, for me. I'm just telling you for me. Shaped everything about me. And I'm hoping that it shapes you too if you're not yet married. And I'm hoping for the people that are married and for my church mothers and for my married couples, I'm hoping you will stop saying to these not yet married that the goal and the prize is marriage. The goal and the prize is you running hard after God. Can I get a witness, somebody? Come on, can I get a witness in here, somebody? That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Here we go, number five, last one. And then we, we, we'll, we'll try and land this claim. Uh, God promises blessings in the age to come that are better than blessings of marriage and children. No, no, somebody's going to say, no, I disagree. God promises blessings in the age to come, crowns in the age to come that are better than, bless, than the blessings you get right here. In light of that, don't believe the trick and the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. You've got to run toward God. Look at the bottom. You can go to these scriptures when you have some time. Relationship reordering. Jesus says it. Family and then Christ. Temporary, eternal. Mom and dad, disciples. Here are all the passages where he, when, when, when challenged by it as a single man, Jesus said, hey man, here's really my family. He's not saying the family is not important and you shouldn't develop a great family. He's not saying any of that. But he's saying when you're not yet married, you need to know, he's arguing, that you ought to run hard after God. Um, the passage there says Luke chapter 20, verse 29 through 40. All right, let's, let's turn on this, see if we can land it. Seven things I want you to do. Seven signs you're good where, you, where God has you. Most people think, yeah, I'm all right, I'm content. I'm going to show you if you are. I'm going to show you. I'm going to reveal to you if you really, really are. Seven signs, seven, that you're good right where God has you. And then we'll, we'll, we'll be done today. Number one, number one, you, <laughs> you see your singleness as a gift to use and not to lose. You see your singleness as a gift to use and not to lose. You see, too many, too many people, when you get a gift, you're like, ooh, and you get the gift, and you love it for the moment. You love it for about a month, and then you forget about it. No, 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 no. When God gives you a gift, and everybody that's not yet married, it is your gift. Your gift is never for you. Every time God gives a gift, it's never for you. It's always for somebody else. So since you get this unique gift of singleness in this season, at least today, until you're married, then you're supposed to use it, not try to lose it. We have too many singles that want to lose it. I can't wait to get married. So they're here, and they're dying, dying to get here. And so they're just trying to lose it. Hey, get rid of this, please. Get rid of this, please. And God has said, no, it's a gift for you to use to its fullest and not to lose. Which is why he begs you, which is why he's pleading with you. Can you please not be deceived one more time by the enemy? Every marriage problem I know is rooted in singleness. Every, marriage, every time I counsel somebody, every time I'm counseling somebody, the issue that they're facing 
was rooted back in when they were single. So here's, here's my counsel to singles men. Can you work on that now so you don't take it into the other season when God leads you there? Can you work on it now, please? Can you quit pretending as if you just want to get married and work on this stuff? That's going to drive you nuts. That's why everybody hates when I say this. They do. They hate it. The best thing you can do for yourself as a single is not live alone, but live with somebody else. You know why? Because it gets you to develop the character inside of you. It, what else are you going to do? When you live by yourself, you get to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do, and you don't have to consider nobody else. When you're married, when you, when you um, live with somebody else, they get on your nerves, which is a good thing for the glory of God. Number two. Second one. Second one. Second one. Second one. Second one. <clears throat> um, how do I know? Seven signs you know you're good where, you, where God's got you. You don't need an upgrade. You don't need an upgrade. You don't need an upgrade. Most people argue that I need somebody to complete me. Most people argue, I need somebody to compete with me. I need, I need us to spur each other on so we can compete with each other. Most people argue, I need somebody um, that, will, that will compromise with me. Here's the challenge. God didn't say that he wants a fraction to marry a fraction. He didn't say he wants a half to marry a half. He says he wants a whole person to marry another whole person. The challenge then is, when we get married and we are a fraction, then we expect the other person to complete us. Only God can complete you, nobody else. Which is why you use your time as a single to be fully devoted to God so that you are whole, so that when you come to marriage, listen, now you can serve the other person because you don't need what they have. You can now serve them fully, which is why, as Jesus says, I didn't come to serve but to be served. Now I can fully serve you as a part of what God's called me to do. Now I can fully run to the back of the line and not feel insecure or inferior because I am a fraction and not a whole. You don't need an upgrade. If you need an upgrade, you're not yet married. You're not ready to get married yet if you need an upgrade. But if you're running hard after God and on the front lines for the glory of God, and you are working on who God's called you to be, now the more whole you get, the more prepared you are for what ultimately God wants to do. Because what you're looking for is somebody to compliment you. Somebody that will come alongside. And as you're running, they're running. And you're running toward the same thing. And that's when you say, oh my gosh, I cannot believe we're running in the same direction for the same purpose, for the same God, undividedly devoted to him. And now when we get together, we can say, are you kidding me, God? Are you going to bless me like that? I want to serve this person. I want to give them everything I got because they're doing what I'm doing right now. Hey, bring that, bring that triangle out here real quick for me. Let, me. let me see if I can illustrate it a little clearer for us today. Because I think, I think the married people are going to see a problem that they have because they violated this principle I'm about to show you. See, whenever you look at a triangle, God's at the top. The closer in marriage, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. That's the beauty of marriage. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. The problem is we have a marriage problem because we have a dating problem. We have too many people... That you the, you the lady and, and this the guy. And here's what usually happens in marriages. In marriages, you got the guy, sometimes, 
that's, fur, that's way more closer to God than the lady is. And then here's what he says. Well, I'm going to help her get there. Or, 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 or you got the lady. And the lady is like, ooh, I go to church every day. God is good. All I need to perfect the picture is to have a dude. So then she says, well, I, I, I met him on Bumble. And I said, you can talk to me. So therefore, I will reach down to him and get, no, no, no. Since you're not on the front lines, don't be surprised then. Listen to me. Don't be surprised then when you marry him because he's going to fulfill the perfect picture that you have been desiring for such a long time. When you get it, now God's going to say to you, now remember, you don't get out of it just like that. Because he's not doing what you want. Now, don't bring him to the church later and say, church, can you change him so that he can get up to my level so he can lead me? That is not how this works. Since you started the process of leading him for the rest of your life, since you started it that way, you're going to have to lead him. And look at, see, he don't even want to go nowhere. He don't even want to go. But you're going to have to lead. Come on, baby. Come on, baby. And he ain't going nowhere at all. You trying to get closer to God. But he's sitting there talking about, Mm-mm, not me. You knew me, who, who I was before we got married. This is who I was. Don't try changing me now. This right here happens daily. And we don't even realize it until it's too late. And then you blame the church or your counselor for him. Then you want out. And then in three weeks, you're going to find out you don't get out because you made a mistake in getting married. <laughs> See, the world say you can get out because it ain't working out no more. God said, Mm-mm, now it's time for you to get closer to me so you look more like me. Because watch this now. If the picture is between Christ and the church, this is Christ. You are now. And you are coming back to him and saying, I'm going to love you regardless of who you are. I'm going to fight for you no matter what. Because that's what Jesus did for you. Can I get a witness, man? Uh-huh. It's going to be all right. Lord, have mercy, Jesus. Here we go. Let's see if we can get through a couple more of these before my time runs out. Come on, let's go. Uh, number, number, number four. A love interest would be an interrupt. This is so important. A love interest would be an interruption. Let me tell you what an interrupt. So you're either going to interrupt or you're anticipating. You're doing one of the two. They're, they're, they're not yet married. All they're doing is anticipating. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait for the person. I can't wait to get mad. I can't wait to get mad. But when you run in for God and you're running hard after God, if some, if some girl shows up, you interrupting me. What you want? What you want? Leave me alone. I'm, I'm running for the king. What you want? It's an interruption. And, and because you're not desperate, you don't fall prey to interruptions. But when you anticipate, ooh, it's my turn. Ooh, it's my turn. So anybody that shows up, you'll be like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. But when you're running hard after God, and this person shows up in your life, yeah. you'll be like, what you doing? You interrupting me, man. What's up? I don't have time for you. I got to keep going. Okay, you're not feeling that. Um, my kids the other day, uh, my son in particular, you know, we're trying to teach him. It's a little hard to learn this one, but we're trying to teach him that you don't just walk up into conversations and interrupt somebody. Well, my mama, you said, when grown people talk, you don't, you don't need to talk. That's what she used to say. Anyways, um, um, so he comes up and says, and he didn't say excuse me. He said, hey, Dad, uh, I know you're talking to mom, but I, I, I got something to tell you. I said, son, it's not a time because we're having a good conversation. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, son, you know, sir, 
that when you walk up, you need to say, excuse me, is this a good time? And to which I'm saying to you, no, it's not a good time. So he, he said, he said yeah, 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 yeah. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Do, do we need to take it up a notch? Because he's keep, kept interrupting. So then he said, this is, this is Thursday. It's snowing. Then he says, Dad, this is an emergency. To which I said, <laughs> I said, yes, son. He says, the sink pipes are leaking. Okay, that's an interruption. That's an interruption. So it's like you said, let's go. What we do? What we do? Let's see what's going on. Because, because that's an interruption. Now, I must alter my plans because of how emergent, of how important this thing is. Not yet married? Single folk? Let me tell you something. You must be so enthralled with your relationship with God that if somebody shows up, if they're not talking about Jesus, you don't have time for them. It must be such an earth-altering conversation that they must interrupt your relationship with God because of how much they love him too. There lies the issue. We got too many singles who are anticipating and can't wait to get there. Instead of running so hard after God, you, are, you have an undivided devotion to him. Number, number five, number five, number five. Oh, Lord have mercy. You must learn to manage your appetite. You have to learn to manage your appetite. You see, um, if you don't manage your moods, if you don't manage your anger issues, if you don't manage your sexual issues, if you don't manage your financial issues, if you don't manage your relational issues, if you don't manage your parental issues, your daddy issues, your mom, if you don't manage those, then they're going to show up. Every issue that shows up in a marital relationship, you've had it with somebody else before. If it's anger, it's shown up with somebody else before. You, because this person is so close, it's now showing up here. But it's not the person, it's you. That's why you have to manage your drama. And you got to manage it now. It, it, one of the beautiful things is, have you ever, have you ever um, when, you, when you're going to get married or something, you have two people that are going to live together, and you realize how much baggage and stuff you have? You see, when you first move, you think, oh, yeah, 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 we can do this, and, you know, it's not going to take too long. And then the more you open closets, and the more you just see how much stuff you got. And you got to say, okay, I got to throw this away. I got to throw this away. I got to deal with this. I got to deal with this. Because you have to make decisions so that you can live in one house. Here's the issue. Both of you have got baggage, but you and I love to highlight theirs and minimize ours. Both of us got appetite and drama that we got to manage. But because you let the culture influence yourself, you focus on theirs and magnify theirs. And you minimize yours. I know a married person today is saying, amen, she does that. He does that. Right? I know. I know. I know. It's beauty. That's why when you're single, not yet married, that's one of the things you have to work on. How do I manage my own now so that I don't carry drama into this relationship when God, whenever God decides to bless me? Your assignment is manage your Deal with it now. Go get some counseling now. Go get some help now so that you can deal with it before it affects not only you, not only your spouse, but your kids and your kids' kids because you didn't want to deal with it because you're always living with anticipation of who's coming next as opposed to dealing with the drama in your life. Number six, number six, number six, number six. Oh, 
you must have friends that know the whole story. Somebody say whole. whole. No, two more times. Somebody say whole. whole. One more time. Somebody say whole. whole. You must have friends that know the whole story. In other words, we got friends that only knows a part of the story. We got friends that you don't tell the whole thing to, you only tell them a part of it. Because you don't want anybody to know the whole story. Let me say that in, in terms of rooms in your house. You have friends that only come in the living rooms, then you have some friends that go in the den, then you have some friends that you allow in the kitchen. But Lord have mercy, you don't have a whole lot of them that get to go in the attic, you don't have a lot of them that get to go in the bedroom. You don't have a lot of them that get to go. You, you just don't have some that gets to go there. You need friends and you need coaches and covering that know the whole story so that you cannot lie to them. So that when they know your patterns. So when, you, when the last person you dated, you dated them because, and because they were broke, they took advantage of you. Then the next one you go, oh, no, I'm going to marry a millionaire. So I'm gonna, the next person I date is going to be a person that got a lot of money. No, no, you're just going from one extreme to the other. You need to know. If the person didn't do no work and they just sat down and watched football all day long, or they just sat down and crocheted all day long, then you need to go to the other extreme. You need friends that know the whole story, that can tell you the truth and speak truth into your life and not just friends that only know a part of the story. They need to know the whole thing. You need people that can give you the wisdom that you need before you become a casualty in marriage. Last one, and then I'm done. Last one. Uh, number seven. Uh, seven signs. You're good where God has you. Last one. You have mastered the cycle of waiting. I've, I've given you this three times now. I'm going to give you one more time. The cycle of waiting simply says this. This is in every area of your life, in your financial life, in your relational life, in your purity life, in your every life that there is, emotional life, every life. The cycle of waiting. Here's how God works. Number one, it starts with fighting. That's where you don't want to do what God wants done. You're saying, God, I don't want to do it. I'm done. I don't want to do it at all. I don't want to do it. Number two, then you go to hurting. Okay, God, the bottom has fallen out. Maybe I need to reconsider. Maybe I need to think about what you want done. Number three is knowing. That's where you're saying, God, I have got to begin the process of making your values my values. I've got to make sure those two line up. Will you help me do that? The next one after knowing is changing. That's when you're saying, God, I'm done. I've done it my way. It does not work. I'm doing it your way. And then the last one is when you say to God, okay, God, I'm get, I get it. I'm going to trust you now. And trusting says, God, listen, I want you more than I want the thing that I want. That's the way you're trying to live. You, as a single, as a not yet married, you're trying to live at the last two. You're trying to live at changing and trusting. So that you're saying, God, I'm not fighting you anymore. Your will, not my will. Your way, not my way. I'm done. It's all about you. That's where we're headed. Seven signs that you're good right where God has you. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a harvest that's waiting. And they're waiting for men and women that are not yet married to stop being deceived so that we can run hard after God and populate heaven and depopulate hell. God is pleading with you. This is the gift he's given you. Will you embrace it? Will you run with it? And will you say, God, I, I'm not anticipating anymore. I've got to be interrupted because I'm running after you in full devotion to you. Heavenly Father, here we are. Here we are, God. And for every person that's not yet married, 
I pray that you will give them a renewed focus on their purpose and their passion that you're calling them to be. I pray that the, the noise of the crowd will be drowned out by the wisdom of your word. And that we will run so hard. And that when we're on the front lines, if it's your desire for us to get married, then you'll show us the person on the front lines that we need to get married to. But God, help us not to settle. Help us not to acquiesce. Help us not to say, okay, I have to. In the name of Jesus, will you raise up a standard of young men and young women that are running hard after you? We're begging you this. Will you raise them up so that the world can see something completely different when they look to the church to see men and women, boys and girls, going all in for the glory of God? Will you raise that up, God? Will there not just be one or two, but will there be hundreds and thousands and millions of them that are running out after you. And then, God, will you, will you, will you help our marriage? Will you help them not to, not to pressure the not yet marriage? Not to ask unwise questions. But what's wrong with you? Why are you not married yet? Will you give them the wisdom to walk wisely, knowing that the enemy wants them to, dis to carry on his deception so that they will not be fully devoted to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, put your hands together for that, everybody. Come on. Woo!